Here's the thing though. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha, and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's it going? What have you been up to? Nothing too exciting, to be honest. Just uh, just hanging out, doing uni work, just being a studious little student. Um, yeah, it's exam week for Mitch. It's exam week, so <laughs> Get nothing too exciting. But what about you? It is not exam week for me because I finished uni. Yay. I love not missing exam time and uni stress. But also it just means I'm a bit bored now. Because Mitch is like the person I socialize with the most. So now that he's busy and studying, I'm like, oh, what do I do with myself? <laughs> yeah. It's been nice because I've caught up with a couple of friends that I have I don't often see because I've been free in the past week. And yesterday we went to my local beach, which is really not even a beach. It's like a bay near the airport and it's often kind of gross. But we saw like stingrays and like hermit crabs. An actual fish, like, swimming between our feet. And let me tell you, this doesn't happen at my local beach because it's normally pretty nasty. Yeah. Very industrial. It's pretty cool. I know. It's very surprising. I w- bro, I've been going there my whole life and I have never, I've never seen, like, any wildlife in this beach. And out of nowhere, so, like, three things. We saw, like, several stingrays. Like, we were just, we were in, like, knee-deep water. And, like, I turn around to check, to, like, look at our bags. The next thing you know, there's, like, stingrays near our feet, like, several of them. I was like, what? This is the coolest thing that's like ever happened to me. So It was a bit freaky though. I was pretty scared when they were swarming near our feet. And I was like, get out of here. Abort, abort. Abort mission. Get out of the water now. <laughs> but they were just pretty the- cool. They weren't, they weren't even really that big. But here's my issue. I don't know what kind of stingrays they were. And I spent like really long <laughs> going down the Google rabbit hole trying to identify what stingrays we saw. And I still don't know. So if anyone here is a stingray enthusiast, it was like... Maybe like less than a foot across, maybe like 20 centimeters. And they were like round and brown, <laughs> which is not very specific information. But mm. look, there's an ABC article because I, I was Googling this and they use a picture of our stingray in their like photo, but they don't identify the stingray and I can't seem to find what stingray image they've used. So I'm frustrated. Not our stingray. Well, not, our, us, not, yeah. not the specific, well, maybe... Maybe. We oh, don't know be. if it was the same exact stingray. It could have been. I think they live for quite a bit, don't they? I don't know. I don't the know. point is, our stingrays are currently a mystery that I will eventually solve. Maybe I'll like reverse search the picture that like ABC used because I haven't rabbit holed that far yet. But I really want to know. It's a mystery. It's an, it's an enigma. Anyway, before we get into the topic for today's podcast episode, which will be a fun one. Uh, we'll just do some follow-up. Our Patreon is finally live. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I know that last week, like, we were totally bitching about how long it was taking Patreon to get back to us. Literally, like, five hours after we finished recording that episode, they fixed the issue. So, our Patreon is up. And yay, thank you, Patreon support. Uh, we have three membership tiers available at the moment, starting from $3.50 uh, per episode in USD, because... Uh, Patreon doesn't support Australian dollars at the moment. There's going to be heaps of behind-the-scenes content. 
uh, you, uh, if you're of a certain tier, you can send us questions, which we'll answer one like at the end of every episode. We've got one that we're going to answer today. We'll be doing thank yous for the top two tiers of people supporting us. Um, so, yeah, I guess we just, we're just really excited about it. I want to say thank you, guys. It really means a lot to us, people signing up to the Patreon. It's a really, really big step forward for us. So if you think you get as much value out of our podcast episodes that you do a cup of coffee, uh, please consider signing up to our Patreon. It's really exciting. It's a great way to support us. We don't really make too much of an income from this podcast. We kind of just do it because we want to and we care about it. This is a great way to keep it afloat, I guess. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Feeling the love, feeling the love. So today Mm -hmm. we are doing a Get to Know Us episode. We're going to talk a little bit about ourselves. I, I do realize that we've actually, like, we've done 10 episodes now and most of you don't actually know that much about us, which maybe was done slightly on purpose, but now now I feel comfortable enough <laughs> to talk a little bit more. I say this as I gave so much TMI info on, like, my relationship and Mike's. You guys know so many, like, intimate details about me, but you, like, actually don't know a lot about me at the same time. It's very strange. It's very strange to exist in a state where people know about my very inner struggles growing up, but also like probably don't know how old I am or like what city I live in. (laughs) So it's a little bit strange. Um, So we'll do a little bit of get to know us. And then we're going to answer some questions that a bunch of you guys sent in uh, through like our socials, just like a bit of a Q and a, and then we'll end the pod with a Patreon exclusive question. Cool. Let's get into it. So, uh, just a quick one. I'm 22, recently graduated uni. Uh, I'm Pakistani ethnically, but born and raised here in Sydney, Australia. I live at home with my mum and four younger siblings, the youngest of which is five years old and both the light and bane of my life. (laughs) She's a sweetie, but she's crazy. Uh, I love baking. I love binging kids shows on Netflix. I dabble in watercolour painting. My idea of a good night is probably just like a night in with a bunch of friends. I love like just having a bunch of people over in the comfort of a living room, drinking a cup of tea and having a chat. Uh, I used to be really extroverted, but I feel like this past year, especially this like COVID phase has turned me into a bit of an introvert now. I'm actually starting to reach a point where I feel social exhaustion, which has never happened to me before. So I don't know if I'm just getting old or if it's actually a personality shift. Uh, and my Myers-Briggs is ENFP. So that felt like a, a dating dating profile bio, but that's that's my little that's my little one minute intro. Mitch, what about you? I don't know my my personality. Your Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. I I know yours. I'm pretty sure it's I N T P maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. It's some it's something like that. I remember you doing it. I know I know it was not compatible with the. Oh no no it was. I think it was one that was compatible with the ENFP, but I can't remember because we did this like ages ago. All I know is that my best friend and my partner both had the same one, which we thought made a lot of sense. Like the two people that I spend the most time with both have the same Myers-Briggs personality, which I don't even know if I believe in it, but it seems it's true. What can I say? I just, I love a good personality test. (laughs) Well, me, I'm a university student at UNSW as well. I guess I will get into one of the questions that are, that somebody sent that in. That sent yeah. in. Anyways, but um, I'm currently studying a double degree of media studies as well as a Bachelor of Arts majoring in uh, film studies and currently linguistics, though I may change that minor to uh, um, an English minor. 
Yeah, he just started it. I and just like started one, it. One term in and he's like, hmm, well, I, maybe I like, not. <laughs> I like linguistics, but it's just about what skills I want to develop for my future. I don't know if I want to. I think maybe English will be better suited to the career I want to go down. See, like when I did uni, I just did stuff that I thought was interesting. Like I just like had absolutely zero regard for my career. I did a minor in psychology and I did a genet in biology because I just thought it was fun. So I admire your your ambitions because I had none. <laughs> well, I imagine a lot of people would tell me that an English minor would help me nil <laughs> in a career, but I, I guess may, maybe they'll, they'll well, it's prove about, to be right in the future. As I tell my 13-year-old sister who's doing, her hate, or who's doing high school and constantly complains about the stuff they have to do, it's about the way it teaches you to think. Exactly. She's always like, why does it matter that like, you know, the curtains are red. And I'm like, uh-uh, don't call- I loved English in high school. I was an extension English kid. Don't, don't talk shit about English to me right now. It develops your critical thinking skills. You need to do it's it. It's true. Speaking of critical thinking skills, uh, I recently have changed my degree because before I was doing commerce, uh, which teaches, yeah, it teaches you <laughs> no critical thinking skills. And I don't know. I think I went into it thinking, you know, I'll do the media, which is enjoyable, but I'll do a commerce because that's what you're meant to do. Uh, and, you know, I'll get, like, some random ad- advertising job one day. But then... Benny followed was, his yeah, heart. Then I followed my heart. And I, <laughs> because it's just so draining doing commerce, just hearing what I thought was nonsense, not really liking anyone else uh, that does the degree. Because uh, they're all just sort of... Oof. Yeah. Liberal-minded people. Look, when I started talking to Mitch, my friends were like, ew, you're talking to a white boy from business? <laughs> I know, yes. <laughs> yes. And I think... Look, That's fair. That's 100% fair. I wouldn't like, blame you. If y'all know you want to you, the business like faculty has like a reputation. So it's not a good one. And I did go to you and you because it did have the... is It is the best business school in Australia. So now but, I feel um, like I was a bit silly. But I do like the uni. So it's okay. Well, well, I mean, I do like the uni. But anyway, is there anything else you want to tell us about you, Mitch, before we get into the Q&A? Um... Yeah, I like film. I like music. I like reading. I feel like that's that's the main three things. That's that like his whole personality. Me. Yeah, I like making music. I like thinking about making films, although I never actually do it. I always procrastinate. Yeah, that, he's but, he's he's definitely the kind of guy who starts fifty million projects and doesn't finish them. But same. So <laughs> yeah, it's all about expression, though. You don't have to finish them. I don't make them for anyone else. But anyways, yeah, I feel like that's the the gist. Do you think that's there's anything else about me that's uh? Of interest? Uh, he's 21. I don't think I'm he said 21. Age. Yeah, I didn't say that. Uh, yeah, he's tall white boy. He's 21. And I live at home as well. Yeah, in Sydney too, which makes sense because we live in the same city and we're recording together. Yeah, that's it. Tall white boy from Sydney likes movies and music. Yeah, you know the that type. Describes... You've met seven of them today already. Don't yeah, worry. exactly. <laughs> oh, I feel so mean. No. Oh, <laughs> and your feelings hurt, Mitchie. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's get into the questions that you guys sent. Uh, the first one is from Fifi. Thank you, Fifi. Uh, how did you both meet and what were your first impressions of each other? Uh, maybe I'll do a little bit of quick one of how we met and then Mitch can talk about his first impression. Okay. All right. So we met at UNSW, lol, because that's where we both studied. I am the grade, well, was the grader, but I, I love saying was. I'm pointing out constantly that I finished uni because I finished uni and it's very exciting. <sighs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so Mitch was the first year and I was second year and a lot of my friends were like part of the art society and they would like run events and stuff. So I used to go and hang out there with them. 
and he came to one of the art society events and I was looking for first years because I was a camp leader. Lol. So I was trying to find all the little first years. And I was like, hello, are you going to camp? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay. And immediately talked to somebody else. <laughs> but then he like came and sat with me and my friend. We talked a bit. Uh, and then I guess we kind of, yeah, we chatted a little bit. We were, we just like gossiped to him like a lot, like within like two minutes of meeting him and told him like all the drama. And then afterwards we were kind of like, fuck, that's a lot of information to tell someone that we don't know. Maybe we should. Pretty dangerous. That's yeah. pretty, that's Gotta pretty risky. Sure it's contained. Yeah. So like my friend was like, you need to, you need to like cultivate a friendship with that guy so he doesn't snitch on us. And I was like, true. And that is how our friendship birthed. <laughs> um, but then we actually became like very genuine friends. And then we like catch some feelings here and there and then by the, by the time we got together we were like besties anyway so and there was there was quite a few months of well they weren't they vibes but here we are like two and a half years like nearly three years actually nearly three years later in terms yeah, of knowing each other yeah. uh bitch what was your first impression of me well i remember the day it was my first week of uni and there was one of those society things and i felt like you know it's my first week of uni i have to put myself out there to go and explore what uni life really is. Uh, and I'm a pretty introverted sort of dude. So I went there very nervously and was just sort of sitting around just uh, trying to talk to people with the, with the small talk. And, and you were very kind and, and you, you welcomed me in. And it, it, yeah, it did feel like a little, like I'm a little introverted yeah, boy. Yeah, little, little baby yeah. that just kind of came in and like we were just like telling him all the tea about like, who hooked up with who and like, oh my God, did you hear about this? And like, cause the friend that I was seeing, we were having a bit of a catch up at here in a while. So yeah, Mitch was indoctrinated. Yeah, I remember just sitting there and just being told with all of the, uh, all of the gossip. But from the, these girls he's known for like two the, Yeah, minutes. exactly. But the main thought was you're talking about all this goss and all this stuff about people's sex lives and, and all this <laughs> shaming and all this bullying. And I was like, is this what, is this what uni is? Yeah, we're like discussing who said horrible things about whom and how mean that is. And Mitch is just like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it wasn't really you. It was more so. It's more the friend. The friend you were talking to. And I was like, oh, is this well, what I'm getting into? Well, I was just there into? for the gossip. I just wanted to hear what she would, had been up to because she's a bit she's a bit of a wild card. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I yeah. had very good first impressions. Aww. And then we went back to the same society thing again. A yeah, month later, I, I, and I was ooh. very excited to see because we'd been talking in between. Then yeah. I'd, I'd I'd become friends. I'd like we'd had each other on Facebook, and I'd slid into the DMs with a meme. It's a SpongeBob meme. It was a SpongeBob meme. Yeah. yeah, that's how I started our first ever conversation was with a SpongeBob meme. And look here we are. So, gals, that's my dating. That's advice. it. Yeah, that's how you such a man. My first impression with Mitch was like he's pretty unassuming, quiet guy, newbie. Also, I wasn't like in into him in the beginning because like. His first year and our second year, and I saw him as a child. <laughs> but um, he was pretty quiet. I thought he was gay, and I'm really not sure why. I just kind of assumed that he wasn't straight, and that's probably why we were so open about all the things that we were telling him that I probably wouldn't have told some of the straight guys at uni. I I don't know. Maybe it's because he was just nice to us, and I feel like my experience with men was pretty fucking shit <laughs> at uni. And this boy came and was nice to me, and I was like, he must not be interested in women. <laughs> oh my! I don't know. I don't know why I assumed Mitch was gay and then I was corrected literally like within hours of that. So, but yeah, just like my first impression was like quite guy. If I had to guess that we would be where we are now, probably wouldn't have. I don't think I like expected us to become super close or anything. We just kind of did. I mean, what are the odds of that? Like the first thing I go to. Uh, yeah, he met the university. love of his life at his first uni event. Exactly. I had to wait over a year of uni bullshit before that happened to me. Uh, lucky boy. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I feel like that's pretty much it for first impressions. We'll move on to the next question. Uh, what made you want to get into journalism slash media? Uh, I actually like didn't know that I wanted to get into journalism until I like did it. <laughs> uh, in uni, I actually wanted to go into social work. That was what I wanted to do uh, while I was doing my HSC. I wanted to go into social work. That was in my top preferences. Uh, but then a friend of mine who was like three years above me, um, she did journalism. And I think at the moment she like works for ABC and she like writes the stuff that they say on TV, like on the news, which is pretty cool. She's pretty successful now, but um, I haven't seen her in a while. But back when I was in high school, she was the one who was like, you should try journalism because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I am not an ambitious person. Like I really am not an ambitious person. Things just tend to happen. I often do not have much of a forward hand in making them happen. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to do anything. I just want to like exist and fight races um and she was like well you're pretty political like you might like journalism it's a good way to like talk about things that you're interested in you know I'm studying journalism and I really like it I think you'd like it so I was like okay so I put that as my first preference and then social work was my second and the reason I didn't end up going to social work was because a friend of mine who was a social worker uh talked me out of it he was like it's pretty shit pay and you deal with a fucking lot so I don't know if you're emotionally sensitive you're going to have to toughen the fuck up a little bit if you want to do this job. And it scared me. And then I backed out of social work, which sometimes I regret because I feel like I would have really felt like I was making a difference in the world if I had done social work. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. But I ended up doing journalism. I went to the degree. While I enjoyed bits of my degree, I was having a career crisis throughout literally the whole thing until I actually did my internship in third year and felt like, I guess, discovered what it was like to actually like do this as a career because it is very different than doing it at uni um, and then once I had like actually done a journalism internship and actually written some articles, I was like, shit, I actually kind of like this. Like I, I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Like I could do this as a career thing. And it took that internship. So for literally I did my internship in my last year of uni. And just before that, I was ready. To, I was ready to change degrees. I was ready to drop the fuck out of this degree. Cause I was like, I don't know if this means anything like the degree itself. Mitch likes UNSW. I don't. I didn't really love my uni experience in that regard. Like, it was fine. I enjoyed my degree, but I don't think UNSW is a very good institution, at least for what I studied, at least for journalism. I didn't even learn, like, media law. I didn't learn shit <laughs> in my degree. So I just, yeah, I wasn't particularly happy with it. But, yeah, once I actually did my internship, I was like, oh, no, I do like this. I do want to do this. I love advocacy. I love being able to talk about things that I care about and actually have people listen and resonate and like when people actually would comment on my articles or share them or, or message me or whatever and be like wow like I totally vibe with what you're talking about it is like the best positive reinforcement it is so rewarding so I guess that's why I'm, that's why I do it now like that's why I'm still in media is because there's nothing feels as good as somebody reading your shit and being like yes I get you and also like part of the reason I wanted to like ditch my degree was just like mad imposter syndrome like I constantly felt like I could not do this well there is no way I could do this well. Why would anybody want to listen to anything I have to say? Especially when you're like a Muslim woman of color wearing a hijab. And then every time my like course conveners and stuff would bring in past successful students, they were always like white, blonde, blue eyed, like Aryan fucking looking people that are like on TV and stuff. And I was like, that's not me. How the fuck am I going to do it? Like, look at the way they look and look at the way I look. There is no way that I can like represent myself in that fashion. So there was a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of insecurity and stuff. But yeah, then I actually did it. It's actually all right. I actually got nice responses from you guys. And so far, so good. Now it's all right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So if you guys get anything out of that question, it's like, even if you think that you're not going to make it in something, you should probably try it. Because I, I definitely didn't expect to have this many people give a shit about what I have to say. And yet here you guys are listening to us right now for our 11th podcast episode. How crazy is that? 
If you asked me a year ago if I thought I'd have a podcast next year, I would say no. So yeah. Cool. That actually leads me into the next question, which is, uh, what is your experience with imposter syndrome? You seem very confident and competent from Emma. Lol. Okay. My first thought when reading this was, wow, look, I fooled them. We've tricked them. We've tricked them. Uh, and that's on imposter syndrome. <laughs> I second guess myself constantly, like literally constantly. We record and edit and upload all of our podcast episodes in like one day. So we'll like every Tuesday we'll get together, record, edit, upload. Um, and let me tell you, every time we listen to the final edit, I'm like, wow, nothing I say makes sense. I am a fraud. I am useless. I have tricked you all into believing me, believing that I have something worthwhile to say when in reality, I'm just a fool. Who am I? Who am I really? Every fucking Tuesday. I tell you every Tuesday. Yeah, It's like every week, like this is the week they figure it out. This yeah, is the week they is, find this out. This is going to be the I've week that they realize. It. And like clockwork, Mitch has to tell me every week that I'm overthinking it. He thinks the episode's fine. Blah, blah, blah. It'll be fine. And I'm just like, no, like I just... I'm just dumb. Like people just go to this and be like, wow, she's just rambling about nothing. She has nothing. Every week I have this meltdown. And then Wednesday will come around and I will be dying of anxiety because I'm just like, this is it. This is the day I'm going to get torn to pieces. Like people are going to know. They're going to turn on me. People are going to be like, wow, we thought we knew you, Saliha, but you're just a fraud. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like ready for backlash. And then, you know, the day goes by fine. And maybe I'll even get some nice messages saying they like the podcast episode. And I'm just like, oh. Okay, I guess we're all right for now. And then the next week it'll happen again. So I have mad imposter syndrome literally all the time. I am so insecure all the time. Uh, in terms of like, I guess I don't really know how, I, I guess I just deal with it by like good reinforcement by friends and family. Like Mitch has to stand there and be like, you are doing okay. It is fine. You are not a fraud. I think what you had to say was interesting and good and I'm sure somebody else will as well. And he has to like tell me that because otherwise I'm like, that's it. You know, it's, this is terrible. What, what are we doing? Why did we even start this? This was a mistake. And I just spiral. It's also why I'm like really bad at posting on Instagram. Uh, I'm sure you guys, I post like once a week if that and it's like for the podcast episode. But it just gives me a lot of anxiety. I am so terrified of backlash or you guys thinking that I'm just an idiot or whatever. And I just think that like I have quite a bit of previous experience with being trolled, um, which a lot of you guys might know anyway, uh, online and just having a lot of like right-wing you know, haters in my comments or my DMs threatening me and stuff. So it's kind of made me pretty anxious about putting up posts on Instagram and having a like social presence. And it's why I literally haven't put up a post for over a week now, I think. Uh, I'm so behind in like all the posts that I want to put up, but it's just really hard to like do it. It's like a mental process every time where I have to sit there and I have to like talk myself into it. I have to hype myself. I have to like talk myself up because I'm just so used to like being a bit afraid Especially initially, even though the hate and all that has died down quite a bit, I've not recovered. Sometimes I wonder if I've got like some very mild like trauma or like anxiety or PTSD or something that like is preventing me from doing it because it's that bad. I feel like that's just sort of the reality of putting yourself out there and being somewhat of a public personality type. I mean, I feel the same. I feel very confident with uh, the production of this podcast, for example. And then when I'm doing it, I'm like, I'm a big failure. Even now we're having some issues and I'm just like, oh no, like what am I doing? I'm way in over my head for this little podcast production. And I feel the same about 
you know, what I want my future career to be is, I guess, to be writing and do somewhat something somewhat academic. And I get a lot of support, a lot of people telling me, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. And I think about it and I get some moments of bursts of like manic, like, yes, I can do this, just followed by, oh no, like, what have I, I tricked I done? them. Like, they, they don't really know who I am. They don't really know my ability. And it's tough. But I think the best thing you can do is hear the voices of people in the position that you want to be and hear that they, they themselves say, you know, I feel like I'm an imposter. I feel like I'm not good enough for this. You know, I like film. And when I hear directors uh, that of films, I really love talking about how every day it feels like they're fucking up and every day it feels like a massive mess. I'm like, oh, I feel a bit better about yeah, my own insecurities. Like yeah. And if they're like feeling like that, like that way every day and I still admire them, maybe people still admire me. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like, I just need like the support constantly. Like I just need the reassurance constantly from people whose opinion I value because otherwise I'm just I'm spiraling I'm spiraling lol we love anxiety and imposter syndrome but what can we do but yeah I think just surround yourself with like positive influences and remind yourself that even the people you admire feel this way um but we'll move on to the next question uh what made you want to start a podcast from Jenna um look I like to talk Mitch likes to edit perfect (laughs) no I feel like I mean, Mitch is definitely the reason we have a podcast today. Like, he's the one who pushed me to do it because I kind of wanted to do one for a while just because I like talking uh, and it's probably my stronger thing. Like, I like writing as well, but writing I find quite draining whereas I don't find talking as draining. I guested on a friend's podcast a while ago and that was when I was like, oh, shit, I actually loved this. Like, I loved talking on the podcast and I really felt like I was in my element. Um and then I was like, shit, maybe I should do this. Like, maybe, like, it seems a bit hard, but I feel like we could do it. And then I told Mitch about it. And he was like, yeah, I can, I can, like, I can do the editing stuff for you. It'd be good. And then we never did it because both of us are serial procrastinators. It's really not, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good being in a team where both of you procrastinate a lot. But eventually Mitch was kind of just like, we need to do this. You really need to do this. Like, you should do this. I will do it for you. Let's do it. And he's the one who, like, really, really pushed and made it happen. For sure. I feel like... I mean, it just seemed like fun to me to like put this together and, and get all the, the stuff we need and learn, I guess, these sort of skills of producing a podcast and how it actually works and what you need to do. But yeah, moving on to the next question from Pia. What kind of music do you both like? What are your current favorite artists? Hmm. I feel like I just like anything that sort of pushes the limits of musicality. Like just give me like noise and, and real loud experimental stuff doesn't have to be good even but if it sort of challenges me uh <laughs> i guess i enjoy it no i mean i try and listen to a lot i feel like no matter every week you'd uh you ask me i'd probably say something different but what i'm listening to at the moment is uh, a lot of bjork who's this great icelandic uh singer songwriter um parquet courts which is a great uh indie rock post-punk bands they they sing or they scream i guess a lot about capitalism and left-wing politics which is good fun a hundred gex which is really crazy hyper pop absolute madness i guess that's what i mean when i say anything that sort of pushes the boundaries he's edgy (laughs) you should have seen the look which just gave me right now when i said that (laughs) and clipping which is an experimental hip-hop uh trio uh, led by David Diggs from Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, okay. 
And one more, I'll say Death Grips. That's probably my favorite artist. Like, it will always return to Death Grips to listen to their, their crazy, crazy music. Anyways, what about you, Sleeha? Uh, honestly, I never really know how to answer when people ask me what kind of music I'm into because I'm a very sporadic music listener in the first place. Like, I don't listen to that much music and I'm not super passionate about music like a lot of people are. I do listen to it. I listen to music when I clean or when I'm, like, painting. But typically... I'm watching Netflix, not listening to music. So, and even then, I don't know. I'm just not. I'm not a huge music. I do listen to music though. Um, if I am listening to music, it's probably indie pop or like bedroom pop. Uh, I actually don't know who the artists for most of the songs in my playlist are. <laughs> I just like Spotify recommends me a song. I'm like, yes, algorithm, tell me what I must listen to, and they're usually pretty spot on with what I like. So I just like let it choose on like, you know, just like if I have a playlist and it ends in Spotify, just chooses my songs. I usually like them. So. I feel like I can't answer this question very well, but maybe in terms of consistency, like artists that I have probably listened to more than one song of or quite a few songs of, it's like Conan Gray or The Wombats, a bit of Cave Town, a bit of Hosier. Uh, I usually listen to playlists rather than albums. So I'm more of, a, more of a vibe or a mood person rather than like a specific like artist. Um, I either like, you know, really cheerful, poppy, sing this in the shower or like on a road trip kind of songs i love throwbacks uh especially like from the early 2000s i also love some 70s or 80s pop uh but it's either that or like really kind of moody dreamy kind of sad kind of wistful uh chill soft vibes i like to paint to that's where like the conan grays and hosiers of the world come in but yeah my, mine's a mess but i'm just gonna say like indie pop or bedroom pop for the most part i do really like conan gray when you showed him to me yeah i yeah. love conan gray he's a great sort of pop artist yeah, and I like I discovered Conan Gray on Spotify because Spotify recommended him to me, and I must listen to Spotify. Um, but actually, like I love him, and now he's like hella famous. He wasn't. He was a YouTube. He was like a performer on YouTube before that. Not to say as a before, he was, before cool. he was famous. No, 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 no. Yeah. He was still very popular by the time I was into him. But he like only very recently, like really, I think I don't know how. Like he must have posted something that went viral because he just. Out of nowhere, he was everywhere. And I was like, wait, is that? Because I didn't like, I don't, I never look up the artists I listen to. Like, I could not tell you what singers of the Wombats look like. And I've been listening to them since I was in Lucky 10. So I, I'm so bad at knowing who the artists I listen to are. So when I saw Conan Gray, I was like, is that Conan Gray? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I do love him. Just hey, for the record, I like bands before they're cool. Oh, my Just, God. Uh, yeah, Mitch is I'm one of those I'm assholes. Kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, let's move into the next question. Um, can you please talk about the evolution of your feminism and your life aspirations? From Karina. Okay. Uh, big big question. question. Where do okay. I start? I think for the most part, I was always quite feminist, even before maybe I didn't like know what feminism was. Although I will say, disclaimer, I did have that whole I'm not like other girls phase that a lot of people go through. But I, you know, I was maybe a little bit, slut shamey when I was like 12 but I think that's pretty normal when you exist in a patriarchal society that conditions you to compete with and fuck over other women so I did have that phase like it's not like I was a perfect feminist from like birth I was probably pretty problematic in my early teen years but I did do most of my just like growing up and existing with a single mom in a household that's majority female uh, and my grandma was also super engaged with her community and frequently pushed the idea of female independence because she um, like supported a lot of domestic violence victims. So a lot of my politics, and particularly my politics around women and their relationships with men, stem from growing up and just like seeing men fuck over women in real time and then being really angry about it. 
and then like understanding that there is something inherently wrong and that there is some inherent inequality but maybe not having a word for it um i probably didn't actively call myself a feminist until i was like around 15 uh because that's when i really started to get into politics and like a lot of people in the 2010s i got all of my politics from tumblr lol i was a tumblr girl um yeah, I probably discovered feminism and a lot of my race politics from Tumblr. Which, like, I feel like is maybe a bit, like, for people embarrassing to say, but I'm like, fuck it. I became radicalized through Tumblr and I don't regret a single thing. Lol. Um, and then I started to get involved in my community. I did a lot of volunteer works from, like, the ages of 14 to, like, 17, 18. Uh, I ran a lot of youth events, went to all kinds of, like, workshops and things um, through a youth worker that I knew who worked in my local council. And I think that maybe helped me discover a little bit more about, like, what I felt about the world and how I really wanted the disadvantaged to find or to be given equality by the ruling class and stuff. But then I got to like I was a feminist by then. Like by the time I finished high school, I identified as a feminist um, and an anti-racist. But I don't think I really had a lot of class consciousness. Like I did understand that capitalism was bad and that the lower class is like subjugated, but maybe not to an extent where I could probably verbalize it well. And then I went to uni. Like, like I'd, I'd never done any political readings in high school. Like I wasn't politically well read or anything like that. All the all the politics that I had were from like just discussions with friends or like Tumblr or like just seeing in real time oppression and being upset about it. But it wasn't very refined. Um, it's just a lot of you know Twitter activism. Uh, but then I joined. Yeah, so uni started to hang out with a lot of socialists. Started to do even like my media degree was quite left wing. I will say like we did a lot of readings on like Marxism and anti capitalism in uni um that and then becoming friends with all the socialism like all, sorry all the socialists uh really helped me develop some sense of class consciousness and, and like an actual like legitimate anger towards capitalism and like like then I like really became I think an anti-capitalist and now my feminism is very rooted in anti-capitalism and anti-colonialism uh so while I call myself a feminist like I do call myself I think it's I think feminism is obviously worth talking about but I actually do think that the struggle is in class I think we're still fundamentally like oppressed by capitalism more than we are by men, individual men. And like even the patriarchy, I think is like relevant to anti-capitalism and anti-colonialism. So like an abolishment of patriarchy, it's probably like my end goal as feminist is not necessarily to abolish the patriarchy. It's to abolish capitalism because I think that is how we're going to like liberate women. So I guess like, I think a lot of my followers that like their feminism ends in abolishing patriarchy, but I think patriarchy comes with capitalism and colonialism. So I want to abolish capitalism and colonialism. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's my that's my thoughts on like feminism. Like I am a feminist, obviously, um, but I think I think class struggle and class politics is really where the conversations are at. But I do often talk about men because they piss me off and enrage me most of the time. But yeah, in terms of life aspirations. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Life aspirations. I, mean, I told you guys, I'm not very ambitious. I have no idea where I want to be. I feel like I just get thrown into random situations that have like led me to have a career that I have now. But like, I don't know if I ever genuinely actually had ambitions and plans to be here. I just, it kind of happened. Uh, I love talking and I love talking about things that I'm passionate about. And I think that's how I ended up here because I'm very opinionated and the right people would hear me. And I was lucky in that way. Uh, but I guess if I like, I honestly don't know like where I want to be in the future. I don't know what my life aspirations are, but I guess it would be to like be somebody who can make a career out of like having opinions. You know, I want to be that bitch <laughs> that gets hit up to write or talk about issues that I'm interested in and passionate about. I'd love to be a voice of authority like that. I love like 
for people to reach out to me and be like, hey, can you write about this? A public intellectual of sorts. Maybe not intellectual because I don't know how like intellectual I am. But I think just like somebody that people can trust to like talk about these things in like a nuanced way, right? Sure. Like somebody like, who's... who. Uh, Nine News, they'd be like, we have Sleeha. Oh, I, you couldn't fucking pay me to go into Nine News. But <laughs> you, you guys know what I mean. Like I want to... Not that I ever want my own talk show or anything like that. But yeah, people like whose opinions we trust. I want to be like trusted. I want to be valued. I want my voice to be valued. I want my words to be valued. I want to represent people. I want to be somebody that people can reach out to represent them, be it in the media or just in like the way that I'm talking. And they can like trust me to discuss their experiences safely, which is like a very journalistic thing. That's what a lot of journalists want to be. We want to be trusted. We want you to reach out to us. And we want to talk about you and your stories and our lives and how it all interconnects. So yeah, I want to talk about myself. <laughs> when it comes, yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm about. a vain bitch, and I want to talk about myself. What can I say? Our last question is: How do you deal with people expecting you to be the representative of your ethnic group? From Jenna. Oh, sis, look, this is every hijabi girl's life, even before mine became political. Like we already feel this from our community. Because we wear a hijab. And so everything we do has to represent the Muslim community. And if we fuck up in any capacity, we're just like bad Muslims giving the Muslim community a bad rep. That's happened to me. Some of you know, some of you, new listeners probably don't. But like last year, I was like in like news headlines around the world because I wasn't let into a Paragon Hotel uh, in Secular Key because I was wearing a hijab. Uh, the bouncer told me to take it off and stuff. And it was pretty bad. And it like went all over the news. And the reason I was there was to attend a climate talk that was being held there in the pub and I got like fucking butchered by both sides like the racists were like go back to your country take that towel off your head and then like a lot not everybody I won't generalize the Muslim community but a lot of vocal people in the Muslim community were like wow going into a place that serves alcohol disgusting you may as well take your hijab off because you don't represent us and it's just like fuck man can I just live I was just trying to become political. I just wanted to know how we're going to save the climate from capitalism. That's what I was there for. I was there like literally post rally. I was at a climate rally. And then the like aftermath of the rally, the like talk, the debrief afterwards was in Paragon Hotel. Like fuck off. (laughs) But it's just like people are never fucking happy. And I think that's what I kind of have to accept now. Like it's really hard in the beginning, but I'm just lucky that that all happened before I had a podcast and before I was really in the media very much because that happened like over a year ago now. Um, it's pretty traumatic. It's pretty shit being fucked over by literally everybody. Uh, but now that that's happened, I guess an understanding of my own place and a view of like where I stand in society uh, is how I deal with people expecting me to represent my ethnic group. Or in this case, I often seen as representing Muslims in particular and Muslim women in particular. There is so much diversity in the Muslim community and you're not going to represent everybody. And people might expect you to do that, but you just have to be honest and you have to be clear. I do think that when I talk, I do often mention that I am talking for myself or that I'm only talking for people who relate to my experiences. It's especially hard as a Muslim woman because you have a lot of people constantly criticizing like how you're representing your religion in particular. It's not even like ethnicity, it's religion, which is, I mean, there's, there's one billion Muslims in the world. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of diversity in how we think and feel and speak. Uh, for me, it's just like trying to avoid being gaslit and reminding myself that like my experiences and thoughts are real and they are valid um and I am Muslim therefore all my experiences represent Muslim women because I am a Muslim woman and it's not like my experiences are 100% unique they're not uh so I guess it's just like knowing that you don't owe people shit in that regard that you can 
that just existing as you are is representing your group of people that you belong to because you are part of that group and you are you, you know? Um, I think in particular, just like, I do get, I do get why people want you to represent them in a certain way, especially when you're from an ethnic minority or you're Muslim because there's so very few of us in the media. You know, I remember when like Zayn Malik got really popular and we were all so excited for him to represent us as Muslims and then he was kind of like, lol, psych. Uh, I, I'm not really, I'm not really religious, and I'm not really Muslim. And we were so sad, and we were so devastated, even though like it's none of our business. But it's just like I, I get the desire to want representation, so I think I deal with it in a way where I, I try to be empathetic, and I'm like, I get that you want this representation, I get you want somebody to speak for you, but also I can't be everything at once, and I understand my limits, and I understand my boundaries, and I'm pretty, pretty careful with them. All right. Well, that's all for the questions that were like sent in. We do have one patreon question so what we're going to be doing is for a couple of the tiers on our patreon you can send in questions and then we'll randomly answer one every week from the questions that we have so this week our question is from katie uh she said what are your thoughts on people that say doesn't claiming your marginalized perpetuate your marginalization i profoundly disagree with this statement but it's one i've heard from a few people and i would be interested to discuss or know how prevalent this is I've actually never had anyone say that to me. I've never had anybody say that because I'm claiming I'm marginalized, I perpetuate marginalization. That seems like some real white wing, right wing shit. Like, uh, because you say people are racist to you, people are racist to you. Like, what? Um, I agree with you, KT, in that I profoundly disagree with this statement. Stating a truth isn't what makes it true. Like, what makes it true is that it exists. Uh, us claiming that we're marginalized is not perpetuating it. It's just putting a name to something that's happened for like a very, very long time. We were marginalized far before we knew it. A lot of us didn't even really understand it because we only like kind of understood our internalized racism or sexism or misogyny or whatever quite recently. Up until then, we probably didn't even know we were marginalized and that didn't stop us from being marginalized. I don't know who was saying that to you, but I really wouldn't bother arguing with them. Well, I, I imagine there's people who say like, you know, we need to resist racism by seeing everyone as the same like you don't acknowledge color it's like by dividing people by saying there are black people and there are white people and there are people of color uh is reinforcing those divisions which isn't true but it's a, yeah. it's a centrist sort of right-wing talking yeah it's very much like a gaslighting tactic that a lot of like right-wing facebook keyboard warriors will bring up a lot i think it's pretty toxic and disingenuous because yeah it's definitely that i don't see color or wow, like, why do you have to be so divisive when you call out somebody being racist? It's, I mean, this is the kind of gaslighting that we talked about in our white feminism episode of just people, like, calling you aggressive or angry or blaming you for, and, like, for your own victimization. That's what this is. It is gaslighting. It is just fundamentally untrue and it's disingenuous. And somebody who actually, like, is saying that shit to you, I guarantee you they don't believe it. They're just, like, they're fucking around with you. Because, no, that's, that's just, like, it's just nonsensical. The argument's nonsensical. How does claiming your marginalized perpetuate your marginalization? It just puts a name to something that you're suffering from because naming it is the first step to like acknowledging it and then dismantling it, right? Yeah, we're not gonna, it's not going to disappear by just ignoring it. If we don't speak about it or don't think about it, the material sis, uh, systemic structures that reinforce racism aren't going to evaporate. Yeah. So I guess my thoughts on that are that's, that statement's ridiculous. Uh, I don't care about it. I probably wouldn't engage with somebody that said that to me because I'd just be like, you know what? This is so far beneath what my politics are right now. Like we are, we are so far ahead of this point. We, I, we, this is this person is at a place where they're claiming that racism doesn't exist. Essentially, like I just I can't even interact with that. 
<laughs> I just can't even waste my time with that. And I, if I was you, I wouldn't waste your time arguing with someone who says that, which I know is maybe a bit unpopular. People are always like, oh, how are people going to learn if you don't teach them? Yeah, but you also need somebody willing to learn to you, like, like willing to learn, willing to listen to you. And that shit is disingenuous. That, that is not somebody that actually wants to learn about racism. You probably shouldn't waste your time arguing with people and expending your emotional labor when they are just there to rile you up, which is why I think this is. They don't deserve it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I guess, I guess we're done for today then. We will be posting some bonus content on our Patreon. So if you sign up to that. Some outtakes, another question. Another question that, we list, that we're answering that'll be on there. So if you want some more bonus questions and want to know a little bit more about us and our opinions on things, sign up to the Patreon. Cool. Thanks for listening. I just want to say that this episode is sponsored by you, our listeners. We have a few Patreons that we want to thank today. Uh, specifically, uh, Bronte Fordham, Beck Kayuana, and Katie McCall. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash sleeha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash sleeha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at sleeherofficial, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, music, and books. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here'sathinglowpodcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Thank you. See y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.